0: Welcome to The Lending Lowdown. I'm CJ Doherty, Director of Analysis at LSEG LPC. We've done several recent podcasts on various aspects of U.S. private credit and direct lending. And today, in what is our 18th podcast in the series, we're going to stay on that topic, but focus on the lower middle market specifically. And so I'm delighted to be joined by Dan Lee, partner at ComVest Credit Partners. And Dan spoke at LPC's annual loan conference a couple of weeks ago here in New York. He was on a panel primarily focused on the lower middle market, so I thought it would be a good idea to bring him on here so he can share his thoughts with us again. And so, Dan, thanks for joining me. Yeah, likewise. Thank you, CJ. It's great to be here. And so, Dan, before we dive into the Q&A, can you give us a little bit of background on both yourself and ComVest
1: Credit Partners? Absolutely. So I'm a partner at ComVest Credit Partners. We're a uh, credit fund focused on the lower middle market. We define that as companies with less than $25 of EBITDA. Uh, I have been a lender for the better part of 25 years, Uh, spent about 10 years at Cerberus. I've been at uh, ComVest for about 13 years and building out uh, business, lending business in the lower middle market, uh, both sponsored and non-sponsored.
0: Okay, great. Now to start digging into current market conditions. How is sponsored direct lending activity
1: held up in the lower middle market? So I would say it's generally held up better than the institutional market. So we've seen institutional volumes started declining significantly in the middle of 2022. They've come back slowly uh, over the course of 2023, but the the lower middle market generally has held up. Volumes have been more steady, Uh, so they've certainly declined, and what we've seen with uh, a lot of trends over the uh, you know long time period is that the trends in the lower middle market tend to be not quite they tend to follow the larger market but to be not quite as volatile and so i would say the market has remained open for business um and then the direct lending market has also stepped up into the institutional market and taken some share uh the on, on larger deals uh, direct lenders have been able to um, complete execution on, on large uh, deals that would have gone broadly syndicated which were not when that market wasn't open and so you've seen some of that money some of that move, money move into that market solve those problems uh, in the lower middle market generally I would say activity has continued though certainly uh, we've felt some of the slowness seen in the in the overall market for sure okay
0: and, and lenders have faced an uncertain economic environment in recent times you know how, how have lenders navigated
1: this environment? I'd say generally very carefully. I think you know lenders are generally raising the bar on, on credit quality for sure. And so what we're seeing is there's a, a big bifurcation. So a healthy uh, M&A or refinancing market would include companies uh, that you would grade as an A, B, C, sort of a, a wide um, credit quality. We're generally seeing right now that it's the highest Quality credits that are coming to market, and so and they're getting a lot of attention. Frankly, so there's a supply demand imbalance. So you're seeing terms get um, very aggressive for some of the very high caliber companies that are coming to market, and then below that, there's just really not a lot that's hitting the market. So the, in that sort of um, what we'd classify as BB minus C plus, where it's a company that um, might be on the smaller side or be in an industry that's a little bit out of favor. You know, those generally are having trouble getting traction in the market. And so um, you're seeing a, a market for a high quality credits that that's pretty white hot, frankly. Uh, and then the rest of the market is is generally much quieter in terms widen widening pretty quickly. Okay. Now I want to talk a bit about documentation. Can you discuss,
0: you know, legal document protections in the lower middle market and how they compare to the upper
1: middle market and broadly syndicated market, you know, what do you see there? Yeah, so I think there's there's a couple things to note. Generally, you see terms that are are much tighter in the lower middle market, and that really is a function of supply and demand. So you have uh, the rating agencies when they when they are providing ratings to companies, they put a big weighting on the size of the company because the scale is imp- viewed as being important in in the rating for the for the business and the credit quality. And so you see a lot more demand looking for rated securities, for larger securities, and that drives much, much wider terms. And those lenders would tell you that those companies deserve wider terms because they have more refinancing options. As you come down market, the companies generally do tend to be uh, further up on the risk scale for sure, but you can find businesses that are really high caliber And just happen to be in markets that are much smaller. So that's where we tend to focus is on on high credit quality businesses that that have very strong characteristics, but just don't operate in as large of a market. Uh, And what we find is on those businesses, you're able to negotiate much tighter document terms. And so that means uh, things like covenants, financial covenants, positive and uh, affirmative and negative covenants. Um, reporting requirements, which I know we're going to talk about separately, but you see that these terms get uh, to be much tighter. We did see some loosening as as lenders as sponsors came down into the lower middle market, but I would say that was really on the, the limited to the highest credit quality across the lower middle market. Terms generally have been tight, and then it's worth mentioning things like uh, unrestricted subs or leakage of cash flow. Um, through um, dividends and and investments and junior junior debt, you know those are things that you see uh, get very very loose in the larger market. They they really they've made their way into our market in a very small way, but the documentation tends to limit what the borrower can do. So it's a much stronger pool of collateral.
0: Can you also talk about reporting requirements in the lower middle market and whether you would characterize them as advantageous to lenders? And also, do they have any drawbacks?
1: Yes, yeah, so you're able to get much better reporting. So I'll use the example, and many of our borrowers, we get monthly reporting. It's it's common to get quarterly reporting if you get reporting at all in much larger companies. So um, yes, we, we think reporting is an incredibly important um, tool in the communication that we use to identify the health of our borrower. And frankly, we use it on, on the front end of negotiating with a, with a counterparty, whether it be a sponsor or the company directly, to let them know, we want that communication. We want to know that you're willing to share information about the current state of your business, about the current state of health, and then so we can sit down and talk through any challenges and and not be surprised uh, if things take a turn for the worse. And and so you know, a lot of the things that happen to a business that you know um, appear to be challenges can present opportunities. And so we really like to try to figure out where can we work with them to work through any challenges and, and or identify those opportunities. But we think it's critical to get an early seat at the table, period. And reporting gives you an ability to ask more intelligent questions and to really figure out how do I get to, to the table at a point when the business is, is still performing at a level where I feel um, that there's there's a way to work through it with the borrower in a constructive way. Dan, now I'd like to pivot away from sponsored lending for a minute and get your thoughts on the the risks and the opportunities in the non-sponsored market. Yeah, so I think the non-sponsored market is much less competitive. if you If you stratify the lender universe, uh, it's roughly ninety percent of the universe tends to focus on sponsor lending. it It is much uh, frankly, it's it's easier to diligence. You have a private equity sponsor that's that's leading the diligence. They're obviously writing a big check which provides support and they can provide ongoing support. So most of the lenders in the sponsored lending universe um, rely on that support from the the private equity sponsor. Non-sponsored lending is effectively lending to a business that is not sponsor-owned directly to, it could be family-owned, owner-operated, or in some cases, an independent sponsor. And so those businesses may or may not have additional capital coming in to the business. Uh, and likely don't have additional capital support down the road, so it's a different risk profile. And uh, there's a much smaller group of lenders that tend to focus on it. What it, what it means the, the, the punchline is the lender. You have to be comfortable leading the primary diligence yourself, knowing that um, you're. It's a much heavier lift from a diligence standpoint. From a from a restructuring standpoint, if things don't go well, you are the uh, you are the capital in the capital structure. And so there, you know, there's no one else that's going to cut a check that can provide additional support. So that means you have to be much more careful on the front end in doing diligence. Frankly, you have to have a much higher level of discipline in uh, cutting bait if if diligence is not coming through. And so you see, it's a much lower uh, conversion rate because you don't have the momentum that a an investment banker-led process and a private equity-led process. Um, tends to bring to the table. So um, that, that for, for many lenders, that's a struggle. Uh, and they choose to focus on the sponsor market where it's much more of sort of a flow dynamic. Um, we've been doing non-sponsored lending for a better part of 30 years. We think there's um, better terms, lower leverage, better pricing, tighter structures. And you can find businesses that frankly belong in the sponsor universe that just from from a credit quality standpoint, but just have ownership that's decided that they believe there's additional value available that they want to see the benefit of themselves.
0: Okay, so some uh, notable differences there. And just to move on, we've been in an environment now where interest rates have climbed sharply in the last 18 months. Uh, so given this, you know what strategies are emerging to address challenges
1: with debt services as base rates remain elevated? We're seeing people deal with the reality of the fact that these, these base rates look... Like they're not going to decline meaningfully in the in the near to me- medium term, and so it, it really is a shock to the system. If you, if you think back to uh, the beginning of 2022, the forecasters at the time were assuming the Fed would raise rates to two or two and a half percent, maybe three percent, of the most aggressive forecasts. Nobody foresaw five percent, and nobody foresaw that they would stay there for as long as they are. So it's a real challenge. And it's if you go back to businesses that were financed in 2018, 19 or 2020 before the the rates were raised, they were put capital structures put in place with effectively zero base rates and very, very low base rates. So they weren't built to weather this sort of an environment. And so we're seeing that um, companies are dealing with it. It's I would say their resilience and continuing to. To service the debt has been um impressive. And and um, but they are also realizing that it is taking a toll on growth initiatives. It's it is cash flow that could be using for other purposes. And so they're looking for ways that they can mitigate the um the drain from from the increased interest rates. And so you're seeing instruments like uh pick uh junior hold co notes, uh things that um investors are coming in fresh to pay down a little bit of debt to provide some runway, put some cash on the balance sheet. It doesn't have a a cash interest rate. And so you see that there's an ability to be more flexible uh, in the way that they they determine how and where to use their cash. In some cases, it incentivizes them to pay cash interest, but it gives them the option. And so I think we're starting to see those become very, very popular. I think you're going to see a lot of growth in those over the next year or two um junior securities generally but also um you know pick heavy securities okay and and now we're getting close to the end of the year and so everyone is looking ahead
0: to next year so what's your market expectations for 2024 including the likes of MA, financing volumes and continuation vehicles yeah so
1: i think it's it's helpful when you think about that question to to take a quick walk backwards if you go back to the beginning of 2022 MA volumes were 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 chugging along it was really in the middle of 2022 after the, the Ukraine conflict that we started to see the institutional market slow on MA volumes slow meaningfully. Uh and bankers were preparing to get back to work in the first quarter when we of 23, when we saw the SPB and first signature, uh sorry, signature bank and first republic challenges. So, you know, I think each time we've we've started to see the market come back, we've seen a, a little bit of a challenge that's caused people to pause. Uh, we were Hearing over the summer that we'd see an uptick into the fourth quarter that really hasn't happened. I would say M&A volumes are still languishing, and there's just a lot of uncertainty. And obviously, the recent conflict is, has has um, has led to talk of of oil prices spiking, which hasn't happened, but also has a you know a great deal of other um, uncertainty and and volatility. Et cetera, Drew. So as we look forward, I, you know, I think there. Our view is that MA volumes likely remain challenged next year with the election causing continued you know, uncertainty, uh, volatility. And so I think what you'll see is is MA volume will probably pick up a little bit from where we are today in the first half of the year before um get be, before being challenged for the second half. I think the the biggest outcome will be that you will see a lot of continuation vehicles. You'll see a lot of refinancing activity. So Sponsors were relying on, uh, if, you, if you go back to uh, 18 months ago, they assumed that the MA and a markets, um, not knowing otherwise, would deal with their refinancings. They would sell businesses. They would exit portfolio companies they've been holding for five, seven, eight years. In some cases, that's not going to happen. They're going to need to find alternatives. So refinancing will pick up. Frankly, restructuring activity um, will pick up. And then continuation vehicles will be a boom market over the next 24 months, the sponsors realize that you know they're not willing to accept the prices that are available for assets and they believe in their businesses and they have investors. that The challenge in those will be that you'll see uh, some investors get frustrated because they don't want to be making that decision themselves, the, the buy or sell decision. They, they really um, had relied on the sponsor historically to make that decision and to live with the consequences. So I think you'll see some friction there, but generally, I think it's a good development for the market in the sense that we need to deal with these long-tailed assets, and it allows the market to do that in a way where it's not promoting sales at levels that are artificial. So um, so I think continuation vehicles are, are a healthy development in the private equity market, and I think you'll see a lot of activity there in the coming t- uh, two years, frankly.
0: Okay, great. So much to look ahead to and monitor next year. And with that, we will wrap up for today. Thank you for joining me, Dan, and sharing your thoughts and experience. And we hope to hear from you again in future. Terrific. Thank you, CJ. And thank you all for tuning in. I invite you to check out our private credit news and analysis at loanconnector.com. Follow us on Twitter at LPC Loans. I'm CJ Doherty. Subscribe to The Lending Lowdown on your favorite podcast
1: platform. When you contribute your fixed income deals to LSYNC, They'll reach over half a million buy- and sell-side professionals around the world and be included in our industry-leading league table rankings. To ensure we're capturing your entire deal flow, visit contribute.elseg.com forward slash FI signup or contact our team at contribute at lseg.com. Make your deal count.